very simply, I would just ask you today, what is God calling you to do in this present season? I've heard it said that Satan tries to get us to focus on two time periods. Our past, to think about it so much that it causes us to be limited in our future. We can't ever get past something that we've worked through or something that was in our distant memory. Or our future, thinking too much about what causes you anxiety that is out in front of you. And God tries to recenter us and focus on two time periods, our present. How can you live as a whole person in this present moment? How can you participate in God's joy with those who are around you right now and our eternity? How could what you are doing right now have echoes in eternity? What is it that God is calling you to do. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, who is arguably the most famous New Testament scholar who is alive, wrote a book in 2013 that was released, and it was 2,000 pages, summing up and looking at the work of Paul. It's 2,000 pages, so no, I haven't read it all. But if you're thinking about all the work of Paul in the New Testament, where would you expect N.T. Wright to begin? Maybe in the book of Romans. Romans definitely has changed human history. It basically sparked the Protestant Reformation. Perhaps you would pick Galatians and some of the things that Paul is dealing with there. N.T. Wright starts in this very odd place as he is summing up the work of Paul. A very small book called Philemon. He begins his 2,000-page work on Paul's work by looking at this very small book that if you're not careful, you can easily just flip right past. It's only 25 verses. And it happens to be one of the books that Paul wrote while he was in house arrest, or you might call it quarantine. We've been doing this series called The Quarantined Church, and last week we looked at the book of Colossians, and this week we look together at Philemon. The next week we'll look at Ephesians, and the following we'll look at Philippians, four books that Paul writes in the New Testament as he is under house arrest. And this one, if you don't have any context for it, is super strange. Again, it's very short, it's very personal. And it's not addressed to a church, and it's addressing a specific issue. I would say that it's a little bit like a case study. Those of you who aren't familiar with case studies, unfortunately, I am all too familiar with them. When I was in graduate school, when we were finishing our degree the third year uh, in school, we had case studies that we would spend three months analyzing. I remember some of the details of ours. We were supposed to be missionaries in Thailand. That's the the case that they gave us. And you were doing mission work out among this very remote tribe that had never heard of the gospel before. And after some years of working amongst this group, you're starting to make some headway. And there are some women who are interested in getting baptized. They want to be baptized and profess their faith in Jesus. But the problem is, 
these women are still very much members of this tribe, and they're in polygamous relationships, and their worry is if they do get baptized, their husbands would kill them. As a missionary, you don't have the funds to get them safely out of that situation. Do you baptize them? was the question that was given to us. And we had three months as grad students to analyze that question, looking at it through the lens of Christian history, through the lens of theology, and through the lens of Scripture, trying to think about how do we address this? What does it look like to live as a Christian in a real-life situation that's not so easy? How do you sum up basically what you've been learning here for three years with a real-life problem? Then you had to write a 20-page paper where you outlined your position and you'd have to go in and defend your paper against three of your professors. I've never sweated so much in my entire life. After it was over and my professors gave me a smile and nod that I had passed, I went and celebrated as hard as a grad student could. I went and got a $5 footlong from Subway, the Chicken Bacon Ranch, because that is the best one that there is. I'll fight you about that. But I always remember what it was like to actually think, yeah, at some point I'm going to have to start to apply this into real life situations. And it's not always so clean cut or tidy. And this might be why N.T. Wright starts by talking about Philemon. Because it's a case study about a very difficult circumstance. Paul is writing to a Christian slave owner, which seems like it should be an oxymoron. But that's only because we have recency bias. For the first 1,800 years since the time of Jesus, that would have been an accepted term. And in those days, slavery was different in Rome than the slavery that we have an understanding of in the United States. Some differences that existed in Roman times. First, slavery in ancient Rome wasn't based on race. Secondly, slaves were generally released by the age of 30. Third, they were often well-educated and actually held important positions. Fourth, Rome didn't allow slave owners to separate families, as was common in U.S. history. And fifth, slaves were allowed to own things and were given wages. So it was a little bit different. Yet, still, the slave owner was very much in control. There's writings that go back and forth about slaves in that time, which refers to these slaves basically as as tools for the slave owner to use. And if one of your slaves ran away, you could do basically whatever you wanted with them. There are examples of slave owners turning slaves over to the gladiator games to be killed that way. There are examples of people putting an F onto the head of a slave with a branding so that you would always know that that slave once ran away. There are examples of slaves being crucified because it actually was very important to Roman society that this slave culture existed. And so if someone was to run away, they wanted to make a powerful statement like, you cannot do this, because in many ways it was the backbone of Roman society. So Onesimus is a runaway slave. And he comes back home to Philemon. Somehow he's interacted with Paul. Perhaps he 
saw it out, Paul, because he had become a Christian himself perhaps and said, hey, I'm going to go back home to Philemon, but I'm going to need you to send me with a little note to help out in this exchange because this is going to be really awkward. Whatever the reason is that Onesimus now knows Paul, a runaway slave is coming home. That's a case study. What do you do? And I have to be honest, looking at the way that Paul writes about slavery through 2020 lenses, as we think about how our world is today, it's easy to think, Paul, why didn't you go further? Why didn't you say you shouldn't have slaves in general, Philemon? Release this guy. Or in other passages, I wish that Paul didn't talk about slave owners in in certain ways and saying that you have these responsibilities over your slaves. I wish at times that he just said, slavery is wrong, period, stop it. But I think we have the benefit of years of history on our side. And I think sometimes we get a little arrogant about our own perspectives and the ways that we see the world. Because let's be honest, you don't have to look under that many rocks to recognize that we don't have clean hands when it comes to this kind of thing. The food that you ate this week, some of it was likely picked by people who would love to have their conditions as it was for a slave in Roman times. So let's not act like we're all virtuous and that we've you know, solved these world problems. There are ways that we have improved, but we still have a long way to go. What Paul says and does, I would argue, is way ahead of its time. And in fact, I think leads us to the understanding that we do now have. So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, the book that we looked at last week, he mentions Onesimus. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So Paul sends this letter to Colossae, this church in Colossae, with Onesimus. And scholars argue that it's likely that Paul would have sent him with both of these letters, the letter of, of Colossians and then the letter of Philemon that is directly to Philemon. So you can't just think of what Paul says about slave and owner in Colossians chapter 4, just by itself, because the letter would have been read with Philemon as well. And so it's something that we need to consider all in context and completely understand. And then in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says this, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And he says something similar in Galatians. This, I think, is a verse that sets the trajectory for us to think that we need to try to set slaves free. We need to use whatever power we have to bless those who are oppressed. And if you like that idea, if you think that when you go to church, you have the same standing as the homeless person next to you, if you have a really successful career, you have to thank Paul for that. Because that was a new idea in human history, that there's a place that you could go where the work that you do or some of the failures that you've participated in or some of the successes that you've had, it doesn't define you there. So Paul, I think, doesn't go as far as I would like him to. But he does lead us, I think, to get to a place where we are now. And you can't read some of the things that he says 
about slaves and owners without having a bit of an understanding of what's going on here in Philemon. He also brings a whole new idea as he talks about slaves and owners in their relationships that basically people who own slaves during that time, they are going to be accountable to God for how they treat them. Again, the understanding was that Onesimus or a slave like him was just a tool to be used. But Paul says to every slave owner that he's talking to, how you use that power matters. Treat that person with respect and honor because one day God's going to hold you accountable for it. And again, that was a brand new idea. In Philemon, we see a case study of what happens when a runaway slave is coming home. And Philemon has certain rights. He's at least upset by this. He can do what he wants with Onesimus. And here's what Paul tells him. And I have to say that I don't have cool Lego backing me up. The Nigley family did a fantastic job with the first couple verses of Philemon. So it's not going to be nearly as cool, but here we go. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong, owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. This is as personal a letter, as Paul says, basically saying a lot of stuff, and I would say being very persuasive. At times it's brilliant, at times it's hilarious. I could tell you to do, tell you what I want you to do, but I won't, but basically I will. I'm confident that you're going to make this happen and that you're going to do even more than I ask. Just want to put that out there. There's a comedian uh, named John Acuff who had a blog for a long time called Stuff Christians Like. He does some comedy and uh, is a book writer as well. And he coined the phrase, Jesus jukes. 
It's a fantastic phrase. He says that it's in a moment when someone goes kind of with the holier-than-thou punch. A few examples that he gave is, when I had your problem, I read, insert Bible verse, and everything made sense after that. You know, I used to talk that way back when I was a fundamentalist, liberal slash, etc. I guess I just believe that Jesus meant what he said about hell, poor people, insert other topic. You could argue that Paul is giving the first Jesus juke in in human history here. I won't mention that you owe me your very life because I connected you to the life-altering and life-saving, eternity-changing ministry of Jesus. I won't mention it, but by not mentioning it, I just did mention it. It's a very interesting and humorous letter, and it ends with a fantastic little punch. He says, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. But just one more thing, I might just show up at any time. So prepare a room because I might be coming at an undisclosed moment. Love you, Philemon. See you sometime, maybe. Paul. It's truly a fantastic letter. And he says, I could say certain things and get you to do certain things, but I don't want to coerce you. What I want you to do is choose to act in love. And then you throw in the other awkward angle of this. If Philemon has, or if Onesimus has any intelligence at all, and I'm assuming that he does, and I assume the reason why this letter made the New Testament is that Philemon actually did what Paul asked him to do. I doubt it survives if Philemon was like, nope, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm pretty sure this means that Philemon did do with Onesimus what Paul asked him to. Imagine that this is happening. I think Onesimus would show up during a church service at their little house gathering of 10 to 15 people. And he shows up with this letter from Paul. And imagine the awkwardness and the tension in the room. This is totally a days of our lives type moment when somebody shows up and everyone's heads turn and the person announced like, the baby is yours. And everyone's like, there's a huge gasp. Probably the thing I miss the most with doing this in an empty room is not knowing if my jokes are actually funny at times. And if that one works, just say yay on the stream on Facebook or Uh, YouTube, and I'll look at it later, or nah, that was a little too far. That's probably the hardest part of preaching uh, to an empty room. But this is a total days of our lives moment when Onesimus, this runaway save, just shows up and he's like, hello, I mean, it's Jerry Springer, days of our lives all rolled into one. And Philemon now has this choice. All right, what are you going to do? You have these certain rights and privileges But what is it that you actually are going to do? Because you are a Christian now. And so is Onesimus. So how are you going to treat him? What does this look like in real life? Scripture always calls us to understand that eventually we have to flesh out the gospel. There's going to be case study after case study in our lives that We're going to have hard things to wrestle with. What does forgiveness and reconciliation look like? It's easy to read about it. It's a lot harder when Onesimus just shows up, isn't it? I think we're in a case study moment right now.
I've looked all through the Bible, and there's no how-to instructions for how to live in a pandemic in 2020. I'll keep reading. Maybe it's in Ezekiel somewhere. But I can't find the instructions. What's amazing is one of the credits of the rapid spread of Christianity in the Western world is due to Christians who have acted very well during pandemics. And they didn't have a script either. Maybe it's our turn. When I think about the passages that are called the household codes in Ephesians and Colossians, and then the way that we see a slave-master relationship played out in Philemon, I think if I could sum up what Paul is saying to, to parents and to children and to husbands and wives and to slaves and owners, what I think he's saying is use your power to bless people. Whether you find yourself with a little more power or a little less power in this world, use your power, whatever you have, for good. And if you do have a certain amount of power right now, just know there's going to be someday when you're going to be judged for how you use it. That's what Paul says. Reminds me of the famous words from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, with great power comes great responsibility. Use what you have to bless people. Some of you who are watching this today are in a position like Onesimus. You feel powerless. You very much feel daily at the mercy of things that are way beyond your control. Perhaps you've lost work. Or you're sick. Or you know someone who's very dear to you who's sick and you can't even go see that person. You have to keep working daily in an environment that's unsafe. You feel very much like Onesimus. And if you're in that position, just know that Paul says that God is with you. And I hope that you have people around you who are acting in love. But let's be honest. Most of us who are watching this comfortably from a place that shelters us and keeps us warm. Most of us are Philemon. If you have time to sit and watch this right now, it's likely that you're Philemon. And I raise my hand and say that I'm definitely there. I've had moments during this time, and I'm saying moments, not just one moment. I've had moments where I've thought, all right, I'm not going to the grocery store, but I really don't want to eat what we have in our pantry. And it's at times like that that I think, wow, you are a whiny baby. Many of us are realizing for the first time just how much food is in our pantry. Again, it's likely if you're watching this that you're Philemon that you have some sort of something, some gift or some talent or maybe some money that you could use to be a blessing. 
I think Paul would say, would you use what you have to set at least one, if not more, captives free? Imagine if Paul was to write us a letter like he does to Philemon. You know, I could mention that I went all over the known world living passionately to share the gospel with everyone I could. We didn't have running water then, so don't at me with your teepee problems. I love churches so much that I wrote them letters that I understand you still read. Has a passage from Ephesians changed your life? How about Romans? You really need that stimulus check? Can you find someone who needs it more than you? Did you keep your job? Reports I'm reading say that Los Angeles has an unemployment rate above 50% right now. I could remind you that you owe me your very life. I won't do that, but I could. Anyway, keep your eyes out for the powerless people. Due to COVID-19, there are Nesimuses everywhere. What is it that God is calling you to do? And I know that your life still feels out of control and you want answers about when this is going to end and you want some more certainty back in your life. But even as it's uncertain, may we recognize that God is with us and there are certain things that we can do and we have the power to do to bless people who are desperately in need right now. How could you use your gifts to do the things that God is calling you to do? Because everyone, this is a case study right now. Those who are hurting, those who are in need, they are at our doorstep in our world right now. The question is, what is it that we are going to do about it? Because at some point, you can't just talk about forgiveness and love and all these things that are core beliefs and principles that we all would raise our hand and say that we believe in. At some point, you've got to act on it. May we look for those who are weak and vulnerable. May we bless those who are hurting. Let's use what we have to lean into the eternity we all are longing for. One of our church members named Stephanie has done this in a unique way during this time. And I asked her to do a short video explaining how she has used her gifts and talents during this time and how she has experienced God in that. Hi, my name is Stephanie and I've been making fabric masks. They're 100% cotton. They have a pocket for a filter adjustable elastic and a wire so you can shape it to your face. I feel that God has guided me in doing this. I had the idea before the virus had come to the United States and when it became an urgent need here I just made a few masks and posted them on my Etsy shop and the demand, the response was so great that I just started making more and more and more. And now my team and I have made over 3,500 masks. And 
God has given me all the guidance. He's provided everything that we need to make this a success. Uh, uh, he's given me all the skills and the know-how and put all of the right people in my life to bring this into uh, something possible and also has given me the right encouragement that I needed when things may have been overwhelming uh, or stressful. So I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to be able to provide a product that people really need right now. And it's been a blessing in my life. People from all over the country have shared their stories with me of how uh, this has um, been something that can bring a little bit of joy by having a nice quality mask and bring them some comfort in their time of need. So thank you and may the love of God be with you and stay safe. Thank you, Stephanie. And I know that as I watch that video, I think there's no way I could even make one of those masks. I'm not handy in that way. And perhaps you are, perhaps you're not. But what gifts do you have? And again, I know that things don't feel like they're in control, but how can you use the things that God has blessed you with to be a blessing right now? What is God calling you to do? I remember my grandma used to describe the Great Depression. She was recalling her birthday. She said there was a birthday that she had that someone gave her a nickel and she remembers running out on the porch and she said, I'm the richest little girl in the world. Someday, we're going to talk about this time with our grandkids. What is it that you want to participate in? What is it that you feel God is calling you to? What could you look back on? Wouldn't you like to, when you're describing this to your grandkids someday, say, you know, it was a hard time, but I'm so proud that I did. What is God calling you to do? Because this is a case study. We're trying to figure it out. We don't have all the instructions. But may we continue to lean into what God is calling us to do. And may those of us who are Philemon's in this situation use the power that we have to bless the world. May those of us who are Onesimus's, may we lean into God. May we find the hope that God has for all of us in any moment. May we recognize that God continues to work through us even during hard times. And may we all participate in a further understanding of how we can serve God in the present and connect that present to eternity. Because at some point, you've got to start doing it. You can't just think about it anymore. And that's what the book of Philemon teaches us. Let's pray together. Father, may we recognize that this truly is a moment for us. And it's, it's hard and exhausting. But even in that exhaustion, even in periods where we don't have all the answers, may we understand that you are with us 
And may we use whatever gifts we have to reach out to the many Onesimuses who are around us. May we seek your love and peace for the world. May we understand that in this kind of situation, we just can't stand on the sidelines anymore. May we enter in with love, hope, and with the mystery of the resurrection on our side. It's in your son, Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.